It was such an honor to have my next guest on the show. Kristen Zeman is on. She's a professional speaker, former chief of police of the Aurora, Illinois Police Department, and published author, author of Reimagining Blue. Now, this is an amazing book, and it's a passionate and personal analysis of a misunderstood profession from the vantage point of a female police chief. You do not want to miss this episode with former police chief Kristen Zeman, next on the CJ Evolution Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Patrick here. Thank you for listening to this show. If you love the show, please give us that five-star rating review on Apple Podcasts. We sure would appreciate it and share with your family and friends. I hope you are having a great day. And remember, thank you. Yes, you for all the hard work you do in the first responder and criminal justice fields. It's a very difficult environment. You know that, but you go out every day and you give it 150%. Remember this, you are honored, cherished, and above all, you are loved. Keep up the great work and please be safe. What makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment, doing the breath therapy that's done here. The transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here. And it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. They should be afforded the ability to come get help when they need help. It has gotten better, but we still have a long way to go. You know, we're coming up on the holiday season. Thanksgiving is right around the corner and then Christmas and then New Year's. Please remember that a lot of people struggle during this time of year. It's a very depressing time. Maybe somebody lost a loved one. Maybe they're going through a breakup, lost a child, all horrible things. And remember to be gentle and kind to each other. Again, it is a depressing time for a lot of people out there. If you are suffering, Shatterproof and FHE Health can help. Let's get you on the path to happiness and health today. Reach out to me. All calls are confidential. 303-960-9819. On to the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Very excited to have my next guest on the show. She is a published author, speaker, and retired chief of police from uh, Aurora, Illinois. I was just out in Illinois, Chief. I was just telling you. And Kristen Zeman is on the show. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you being here. Now, for those of you who are those people out there, Chief, I'm going to call you Chief, if that's okay. Like that's I said, right. label labels are for soup, but you know what? <laughs> no, you I'm do, just kidding, Kristen. You, you... <laughs> how, how did you get into law enforcement? You had a very good career. How did you get yeah. into it? 
Yeah, I had a great career. So my father before me was a police officer, as uh, a lot of times tends to be the case in, mm -hmm. in the legacies. And so I'm born and raised in Aurora, Illinois, which uh, for those millions of listeners who don't know where that is, uh, it's 35 uh, miles due west of Chicago. So we are the second largest city in the state of Illinois, second only to Chicago. And wow. so um, about 310 police officers. And growing up, I saw my dad uh, do the things that first responders do. Yeah. I was, I can remember being 10 years old and my dad telling me, don't move. He's off duty. I'm in the back of the station wagon. Don't move. Okay. And he runs out of the car and he goes to the side of the road and he starts pulling people out of a, a crash that just occurred. Wow. And I'm watching through the window, right? And I, I'm noting that all the other cars are whizzing by. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. And then I knew the drill. A couple of years later, I'm 12. I'm sitting in the back and my dad says, don't move. And he <laughs> wrestles the keys from a drunk driver who had just smashed into a toll booth. And oh, wow. that was the moment, though. That was the moment where I thought, okay, this is nuts. This is what cops do. And my dad's like not even on duty, right? So this is what he does off duty. And it was in that moment, 12 years old, I solidified that I want to be a first responder. I want to be a cop. And so that's what I set out to do. I never wavered. You never wavered from that. Never wavered. Now, what was your, what, 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 what did your dad, I'm sure, I mean, I'm assuming he supported you and family members supported yeah. you to get into the field. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was blessed. He, uh, I'm an only child, you know, born to a cop Marine oh, and wow. he, he wanted a boy so bad. And so, uh, he got me instead and, but he raised me in a way that was like, like the confidence instilled in me was you can do this, you can do this job. And he was so full of pride when I finally, you know, made it and became a, a police officer at the tender age of 21. But, you know, what's so interesting is that I grew up in my police department. So I graduated from high school in June of 1991. And I started at the police department as an intern in July of 1991, 17 years old. And wow. yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So I've never, I've never lived anywhere else until now. And I've never worked anywhere else until, you know, but, but for the Aurora police department. Wow. And and that's a good size agency. I mean, a lot of people, yeah. you, I know, you know, Kristen, but a lot of most departments are not very big in the country. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. so 300 plus sworn, yeah. that, that's a pretty good sized police department. That's why I wanted to stay there. I looked yeah. over to my neighbor of Chicago and it was too big. And yeah. uh, and this is this is a little disparaging, but I remember every time I would go to Chicago, I would see like squad cars with like hubcaps off of them. And I was like, oh, those squad cars look like <laughs> shit. Um, and so I, I just remember thinking like, okay, you know what? And Aurora is like big enough where we had enough to do a lot of action. Well, you probably got bleed over from Chicago too, oh, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's like, I just, I always wanted to be a cop in my hometown. So that was, you know, that's got its pros and cons. Yeah, absolutely. And so you navigated your way up and you ended up being the person in charge, the chief of police. Now, was it difficult for, from, a, a, you know, being a, a female in the highest echelons of a department? Sure. I, I, mm -hmm. Did you encounter challenges or resistance to that? Or Because I imagine oh, you had oh, your supporters sure. and then you had people that were like, what, what you know, Yes, I call them. So we have in our careers, and I'm sure you can attest to this as your listeners, is we have mentors and we have tour mentors. And uh, like I most that. 
certainly uh, had my share of tormentors. But let me back up there to your question because it's important. Um, when I started in my police department, there were no women in rank, zero, zero, not even at no. the sergeant's rank. And so if you would have looked at me when I got sworn in and said, you are going to become the chief of this organization, I would have laughed pretty loud in your face. Um, and, and I say that because you don't know what you don't know, right? It Absolutely. never occurred to me that that was possible, that promoting through the ranks would be possible for me because it wasn't it, it just wasn't on display in my department. And so it was never a dream. It was never a goal. It was never an ambition. And it wasn't until a couple females got promoted to sergeant before me. Um, but this is a true testament to the mentors that I've had. And they've been, yeah. they've been all male that have said, you know, that, that, cliche is when someone taps you on the shoulder, you know, and tells you that they see something in you that you genuinely do not see in yourself. And that's what happened to me is a lieutenant said, you've got some leadership skills on display. And I think you should take the sergeant's test. And I did the whole are, are you, are you serious? Are you talking to me? Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And so I credit a lot of my career. I credit, credit every step, um, you know, in furtherance and ascension in my department to someone who looked at me and said, you should do that. But to your point, uh, to your question, I should say, you know, did I have tormentors? The absolute answer is yes. I mean, I yeah. had a, a commander look at me as a sergeant and say, uh, he thought this is great. He thought my style with my uh, with my squad. I had eight cops in in my squad that uh, I supervised, and he thought that I was too quote empowering. Um, so, what? So, You're so, too this empowering. Is, this is what we're dealing with, though. This this was a guy that you know he. Uh, rewarded the punishers. He rewarded those who disciplined and you know exactly what kind of people I'm talking about is like, you know, keeps people down, had a regime of people. And he looked at me and said, you will never become a Lieutenant in this police department. And it was genuinely because of some of the evals I'd written on my guys where I said, you guys are doing a great job. And of course, you know, added room for improvement, but Absolutely. he said, yeah, he literally, he said, yeah, you're, it's, you know, too positive is the words he used. And so uh, little antidotes like that, I, I will say I was pretty blessed in my police department. I come from a progressive police department uh, that has been led uh, before me be, by men uh, that were, you know, really open to putting the best person in the job. And so uh, I have a lot more positive stories about people that helped me. Uh, and it just, it's just a small handful of people that tried to keep me down. Absolutely. And I can't, I cannot believe that. I mean, I've never heard that before, Kristen, where you're too empowering. Isn't that your, isn't that mm -hmm. our job in the, yeah. not yeah. only to help the public, obviously, but to empower the next generation of people that are going to take my job, mm -hmm. right? To yeah. empower oh. them, to build them up instead of disparaging them and say, oh, you're too, I just, I've never heard of that. Yeah, no, totally <laughs> agree. And that was, that was kind of his shtick though. I mean, truly that was his reputation was the punisher, you know? And so, and my philosophy was always, listen, I'm going to tell you what skills uh, that you bring well, to yeah, the you table. You balance it out. That, you mean, exactly. The you, benefit the organization, right? Yeah, you, yeah. you do. The, I always took the sandwich approach. Okay, you start mm -hmm. off by, you know, some positives and you say you're doing this great, but this is what you need to improve on and you end up yeah. with some positive. 
Yeah. And that middle part is so genuinely necessary because criticism, which we often, you know, have that negative connotation, right, is when it comes from a sincere place of caring and wanting someone to get better, um, it's such a gift. And so that's what I looked at it. And I was all about the empowerment and giving power away where he was more of, you know, one borrowing power from his position and then, you know, keeping others down based on that power structure. So well, just very different philosophies. Because it says you were secure in yourself, obviously, I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Kristen, but you were, you have that, you had that good confidence. And I think when people treat people like, this is just my opinion, they're insecure. They're projecting their insecurities out on somebody else because somebody within his career probably did the same thing to him. So now he's got to give it back. You know what I mean? <laughs> I have spent uh, so, so much time trying to contemplate what makes people act and lead the way they do. And you hit it right on the head. It comes down to esteem, you know, how you feel about yourself. And it really does um, play into that phrase of hurt people, hurt people. And there is something deficient in someone who tries to keep other people down. And that was a hard lesson for me to learn. And once I learned that I had a complete paradigm shift where I was, you know, in, instead of disgusted, I was kind of amused. It, it was like, okay, this is textbook, you know? Yeah. And I, and I think part of the things that make a good leader, and I have a feeling you're exactly like this, or you wouldn't be in, or not exactly, but you, you have this, or you wouldn't have been in the role you're in is the humility. All right. I yeah. mean, you got, you, you got to stay humble. I mean, I'm not saying you don't want to know, you know, say you're wrong all the time because that you don't want to project that either, but you have to be humble. You have to say, look, I'm willing to, to be open to other, you know, points of view. I used to tell people, I, I, I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. First of all, I'm not, but I want to get ideas from everybody else. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I think that's, yeah. that's big. But think think about how many bosses you've worked for, though, that don't share that philosophy where, you know, they have to be the smartest person in the room where they truly do borrow power. And I, I always make this you know, correlation of sometimes when people get promoted in our profession, they think that their collar brass equates to their IQ. You know, the higher <laughs> you get, you move up, the higher your IQ moves up. And as we all know, that is absolutely not the case. But, you know, and you think about that, all of the bosses that you've loved working for share a lot of the same qualities that humility enough to say hey guys i don't know the answer here help me figure it out right and to me there's nothing weak about that but it, it and, and it seems like low-hanging fruit but I, there are so many leaders out there that um are are just they they operate you know in the opposite sense well i thank you so much for your service and very difficult environment what was the i'm gonna ask you two things i'm gonna what was the the hardest aspect of being the chief of police and what was the not so hard or easy thing about being the chief of police? Well, I think the hardest part is, you know, every time you move up in, in a position, regardless whether it's law enforcement, but in this case, you know, we're talking about, you know, rank is that you always look to that next level and, mm -hmm. and, you know, you either think, okay, we're ready or, uh, but we're never quite ready. And there was, uh, there was always, when I was a sergeant, when I was a lieutenant, when I was a commander, there was always that thing where it was, I was not the final decision maker, right? And so there was some leeway. Yeah, um, I don't know. With, <laughs> yeah, with middle management, you know, and, and by the way, that's a bad leadership. Trait exactly, oh, exactly, it. exactly. I said it, right? Um, but, but there was, you know, but there was like, there wasn't as a heavy responsibility sitting on the shoulders, there was a buffer. right? There was a buffer. Yeah. And then you get into that chair and 
And I remember going, I, I attended a three week course at Harvard and there was this professor there, uh, Marty Linsky, and he was walking around the class pacing and he looked at all of us and he said this, leadership is about disappointing people at the rate they can absorb. And I remember sitting in that classroom, this was before I became chief. And I remember thinking this guy is out of his GD mind. <laughs> Leadership is about inspiration. It's about being a visionary. It's about taking people where they, they should go, where they ought to go, but might not know that, you know, that that's where they want to go, blah, 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 you know? And, and so I, I rejected that notion and then I got in the big chair and then I made my first decision that pissed some people off. And I was like, I get it. I absolutely get it. Yeah. You know, and and so there is a, a point there where that so that to me is the hardest is that that falls upon your shoulders and people are going to be upset at you. I could make a decision and 49% were unhappy about it and 51% were like, oh, great decision. Right. And and there's no one to point to. It's you. And at the end yeah. of the day, you get all the input, but you're making the decision based on promotions, on discipline, you know, on policy. And it's like, man, you know, that's that's a heavy load to carry. And so it was the hardest thing, but what brought me peace when I finally figured it out is that I asked myself three things. Am I doing the right thing for the right reasons at the right time? And the right thing, by the way, let me let me place an asterisk there, the right thing for the organization, exactly. not for me, not for my friends, but am I doing the right thing for the organization? And if I could answer yes to every single one of those questions... I got comfortable with people being disappointed, right? And so that was the hardest thing. Yeah. Um, the best thing, the easiest thing was watching cops at their best, right? I mean, the we made it a goal of ours in our department to really launch community engagement to another level. And that's all I did. I said, you guys, I'm not going to count it. I'm not going to do this BS where you, you know, you have to count widgets and how many positive contacts. Exactly. Said, Just go go out there and and build relationships in times of peace. When nobody's calling 911, have conversations, get out of your car. And these officers turned that goal on its head so much so that I was getting Facebook inbox messages, Twitter. I would walk in the grocery store and people were like, one of your cops literally stopped me when I was taking my garbage out, handed me a business card and just said, hey, how's everything going? And I'm like, this is it. This is the stuff. So when cops are at their very best, um, that just has has always been, it, they make my job so much yeah, easier. Absolutely. And you, you said it at the beginning, Kristen, empowering yeah, cops right? to do that. Not micromanaging them. And there's a time for that, you know, but to a, a degree, but empowering your troops to go out there and make an impact. Yeah. You know, know. Give, I mean, them, give, give them the power. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we no. give them an awesome amount of responsibility, right? You know, and so, you know, and using that autonomy instead of, you know, looking at the screen. And this is where that culture starts in an organization is, and it comes from the chief down is what, what's your priority? Do you need those, you know, 911 calls as, you know, responses as fast as possible? Yes, for priority one calls. But there's a few things that can wait. I'd whether an officer stay on the scene and problem solve, you know, before going to the next call. Absolutely. That, you know, and, and so, you know, it's, it's that it's just giving them the autonomy. And when you do that, when you unleash the the talent and the skill of those officers, they're going to go out there and do a magnificent job. Yeah. And yeah. it's fun to watch. And I always tell people, told people, I said, don't, don't just be a call taker, you know, just don't just bounce, bounce back. I mean, go to your calls, respond to your calls. That's your job, but also investigate, listen to people. 
Yeah. All right. Just don't be yeah. the person that's running from call to call to call to call to call. And Take think about, time. yeah, think about what you just said. You know, how many times do we hear about cops and the quote, you know, mirrored sunglasses and attitude, lack of empathy, lack of compassion, you know, and what we fail to remember is what it feels like to be a victim of a crime. Sure. When this is our 12th burglar report of the day that we're taking, we forget that each one of those people have been, vi been violated in some way and how that feels as a crime victim. But for us, it's just move on to the next one pause let's just you know listen to people as they they tell you that this is you know a difficult circumstance for them and don't forget what that feels like just bring some absolutely. humanity to your job absolutely and it used to crack me up what when people you know i was never the chief obviously but i, I was i was you know a commander you were the chief and i you had a tremendously difficult job because you you're always going to piss somebody off you know that Kristen. you're you're never going to make everybody happy if you're trying to be people's friends all the time you're, you're not going to be successful hopefully you can have that friendship you know what i mean but yeah but if you're trying to make everybody happy that's yeah. not the job of the chief of police no you have that you know you have that 50 30 whatever thousand foot view you have to look out for everybody not yeah. just internally but externally and I would say it, not even just the chief, but any leader. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you, you, the whole argument, do you want to be loved or do you want to be feared? You know, and so many people buy into the notion that commander I was telling you about bought into the notion of fear. He just loved being feared. Right. And fear buys your back, like, but it can't buy your heart. And what I mean by that is, you know, I, I can, I can make you do something because you're scared that you're going to get in trouble. If you violate policy, you're scared, you're going to get disciplined. You're going to be held back. Right. And that's so short term. So you'll do the thing but you'll do it begrudgingly and 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 you'll also watch that leader you know just walk right off a cliff and you'll go oh wow that sucks that's gonna hurt you yeah. know without trying to catch them right and so so feared is the wrong word loved is the wrong word because you just said is like you make decisions because you're afraid people are going to get mad at you yeah. well then you have no business being a leader if you exactly. can't handle being upset so the answer is you should be neither you should be respected for exactly. the decisions that you make and, and they should trust you yeah. You know, because I think if, if leaders aren't trusted, that's a, a whole different, I mean, that's obviously bad, you know, yeah. if, if you, they might not agree with your decision, but if they trust that you're doing it for the, for the department and the community, yeah. you know, then, then that's huge. So that's the ticket right there. You, you know, trust is just because someone's in a leadership position does not make them trustworthy, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but they have to earn it. And the way that you earn it is by, by truly looking at your people and saying, okay, this decision that I'm about to make, it may, may upset some of you, but I'm going to tell you exactly why I'm making this decision. So you can hear it from my vantage point. And then that's where that checkbox come in. Am I doing the right thing for the right reasons at the right time? And I have found that most people say, you know what? Well, I don't agree with it. I don't like it. I respect it. And I know where it comes from because it's transparent and most people are reasonable, but it's taking the time to to truly articulate on the front end why you're making the decision, the why behind the do. Once people know the why behind the do, I find that most people are like, okay, that makes sense. Well, and here's the thing, Chief, you know this. Sometimes, and in my experience, with, with dealing with different leaders that supervise me um, or the rest of the department was they make a decision that they don't explain why. Exactly. And then it's mm -hmm. like, well, like you yeah. said, though, I mean, it, 
look, it's not like you answer to me. I'm not saying that, but if you explain the why we're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. I you can people... say all day. Yeah. You can make policy decisions sitting at your, you know, conference table, you know, your beautiful cherry desk, you know, <laughs> and, you know, stroke of the pen decisions. But if you're not explaining it, and that's where I failed in the beginning of my tenure, where I was like, okay, I want to change this, 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 and this. And so I started doing it uh, without articulating the why, and people were very confused. And so then I found when I took the time, which by the way, it takes time to, you know, it's, it's easier just to go, Hey, here's the policy change, do it because I said, so jump how high. Right. But when you take the time on the front end to explain the reason for the decision you are making, then that's when people buy into it versus, you know, when they, you know, become resistant to it, it but it's, you got to take the time. Absolutely. Well, before we get into your book, reimagining blue, which I want to talk about, which I haven't read it, but I hear it's an amazing book getting rave reviews. What about what's your take, Kristen, on the in the current state of law enforcement? I mean, what law enforcement officers, brave men and women everywhere are going through at this time right now in, in, in the country where there seems to be, and I should have prefaced by saying, I, I do believe that the majority of people out there support mm. our first responders, but they are under tremendous pressure. We've always been, we know that, but they, they were suffering out there, mental health issues, addiction issues, suicide rates. Uh, I, I, you know, you read this every day and you're like, my God, when is, when is it going to stop? Yeah. And, and, you know, it was, it was high. Our suicide rate was high before, and it's even higher now, you know, I'll just give you my perspective and I can give it to you, offer it to you from my own city, right. Is, mm -hmm. you know, I had a, a mass shooting in my city in 2019, five of my officers were shot and five civilians were killed in a workplace shooting. So that happened in 2019. And then in 2020, and by the way, those officers all survived and they responded heroically. They got shot one by one trying to take down the shooter and none of them relented. They all just kept charging forward towards that shooter. And, and so they all survived. But then as we were healing from those physical wounds and not even close to healing from the emotional ones, which is still ongoing, then uh, a pandemic hit. Maybe, uh, yeah. maybe you've heard, maybe you've heard of it. Uh, and so <laughs> I thought I heard of it. Yeah. So now I'm trying to figure out how to lead a police department in the middle of a pandemic that, that we know nothing about. This was in the early stages where sure. it is, is this going to kill everyone? Am I, mm -hmm. I'm sending my police officers on the street and, and, and we don't know what's going to happen because 911 calls don't stop. Yeah. And then once we started to kind of, you know, get the momentum, get a little more information, uh, then um, an, an incident happened in a little city called Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yeah. And so my cops went from hero, from, you know, running, charging, you know, a gunman getting shot in the process, hero to absolute zero based on something that they didn't do. And mm -hmm. so the the level of frustration, and I remember that I, I had a couple of resignations after that, that said, you know what, I can handle a lot of things. Um, um, but this is this has been my tipping point. And then we see this d divisiveness and all of this, this vitriol being being absolutely you know, yeah. just pointed towards cops who've done nothing wrong. Now, that is not to suggest that those cops who uh, who are the ones who are making headlines Absolutely. Uh, you know, you stand with people when they are Absolutely. right, you part with them when they are wrong. And I have no use. And that's yeah. what I talk about in my book. I call yeah. balls and strikes. I have no use for that thin blue line of, of, you know, you can do no wrong, that blind loyalty, right? Yeah, but, yeah. So, so, you know, present day, 
I, I'm I'm glad to say that at least from my travels from around the nation is that the pendulum is shifting is Good. now now suddenly, you know, it was the silent majority that you speak of the majority that was being quiet because it was so unpopular to say, uh, wait a minute, I actually like my police department in my city, you know, they've done nothing wrong, you know, but it was just so uncool to say that because if you didn't hate cops, you know, then it's like you, you couldn't want, you couldn't want cops to be better. You couldn't want both. Like we should be able to say, wow, our cops should absolutely look towards reform where needed, but we still support our police and the ones that are doing good work every single day that you don't hear about. So that was the hardest time that I have ever had in my career was watching all of the, the, the hatred towards our police officers and the pain that they went through, especially going, what did we do wrong? Right. It wasn't us. Um, But like I said, I think that we now are, where the pendulum is shifting. And I think that we are, that you'll start to see the numbers of recruitment go up because I think people are, are kind of, I hope so. Yeah. to mainstream. Right. So at least I hope. Yeah. I hope so. I mean, because I talked to you, talk to many people all around the country and I got to tell you the people I talk to who are still on the job, I would say 90% of them are looking for an exit ramp. Absolutely. You know, countdown. Which, they're on the countdown. Yeah, they're on the countdown, which, okay, I get it. You served and, you know, you're ready to retire, get out. But I, I believe that, Chris, and I, I hope and pray that it's coming back around because, you know, I mean, I, I think, and I tell people, you know, when I was a young cop, we didn't have, we've always been out of the under scrutiny and we should be, but we didn't have social media. We didn't have all these things that were going on in the world where politicians were just openly attacking you know, you know, verbally attacking officers. And and I, I just hope and pray it gets better in the future. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. And of course, you know, I, I guess I probably am old enough to say, you know, back in my day, but well, me too. My, yeah, in my 30 year career, I never, I've never experienced anything like uh, what we experienced, uh, you know, after the murder of George Floyd. And, yeah. and, and then you, you talked about the mental health of officers as, you know, you have that weighing on them, right? Is that, you know, they're trying to do their job. And yet, you know, everywhere they turn, they're met, you know, with, with such resistance. And, you know, now we are talking about emboldening, you know, criminals that are, yeah. you know, wreaking havoc on our communities and taking away, you know, that empowerment of officers to do anything. And yeah. so not, not only is crime going up, but then, you know, officers, mental health and wellness. And, and, you know, you're talking to a person who, um, you know, had five officers shot and many of, of our officers after that incident started going to therapy because of what they went through. And it wasn't just the officers who were involved in the gunfire. It was those who made it to the scene three minutes late and felt that they let down their, their comrades. Right. It's like everybody has their own, you know, journey. So whether it's a major incident or just the, what I call the thousand tiny cuts every day that a police officer goes through that mental health and, and wellness is becomes the utmost important because it, it's the whole cliche of the oxygen mask coming down. You've got Absolutely. to take care of yourself first or else you are going to be useless for the community and your family. Yeah. And absolutely gone are the days of, of Serpico, you know, mm-hmm. where, where everybody's corrupt, you know, no police officer, are, are there bad cops? Of course they are, but the overwhelming majority of men and women who serve are good people. Nobody gets dressed in the morning, chief, you know, this kisses their spouse or whoever goodbye and goes off and says, I'm going to shoot somebody today. I'm going to put everything on the line. I'm going to uh, face possible prosecution, 
internal affairs investigation, civil, criminal recourse. No, who does that? Come on. Right. So, it, know, does, it doesn't people, happen. Some of the people that spew this narrative is is utterly ridiculous. It, it is, you know, and it's so difficult to try to change their mind. Otherwise, you could even, I tried with data. I mean, that was one of the things I did as chief when everybody, all the protesters, and I was trying to, you know, to spew data of, you know. Data? How, What's that? Uh, oh, exactly. And so it just, it doesn't work because it's, it's emotion, I my, you know. I get my data from TikTok. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Instagram. Exactly. Yeah. Well, but let's talk. I think a- I, I'm oh, hopeful. I'm hope. I'm hopeful. I was just yeah. going to say I'm hopeful for our noble profession. I think there's a lot of great people. I just left two universities, two separate speaking engagements, and there you go. Uh, and I said, how many of you in this audience want to be cops? And boom, I mean, major hands raised. The majority. And I was like, see that it, it, that tells me everything I need to know about those individuals who are going to come in to our profession, even knowing that we're you know on you know uh, the precipice of you know all of the things that. Have happened, but perhaps on the precipice of something better, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why leaders like you, great leaders like you are out there. And, and you know, a lot of it's just educating people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's not what happens on TV shows and the movies. That's not cop work. This is what actually happens. And that's why it's incumbent upon pe- leaders like you to go out there and say, hey, this is my story. This is why we're great. This is why the profession is great. It so, is. And that's I, why we have to get better at marketing ourselves as well. Absolutely. You know? and that's why taking, you know, our media into our own hands and by putting out our own stories. So that's become bit cop, but cops and, and police farms have become better at that as well. So let's talk about reimagining blue thoughts on life, leadership, and a new way forward in policing. Tell us about the book without giving it away. I sat down to write this book um, actually several years ago. I started writing it in 2018. Uh, Pretty funny. I was actually giving a a talk on leadership to uh, my community, to the Chamber of Commerce. And uh, so I I get done with my talk and this guy raises his hand. Yes, sir. I said, uh, he said, I don't have a question. I have a comment. You should write a book. And I just looked at him sideways. Right. And, you know, <laughs> writing, though, was not it was something that I, I've done for a long time. I wrote for my local newspaper as a young sergeant. And so I kept a blog for a while. So writing has been my therapy, but it never actually occurred to me that I would have any wisdom to write a book. Until he said that, you know, it's that whole thing of, you know, when someone sees something, Why in not? You, right? Yeah, I know. And so then I was like, and then I just couldn't get that out of my mind. It's like, he just kind of like planted this little seed and I was Absolutely. like, man. So then I was like, all right, maybe I'll just kind of, you know, you know, take up the culmination of all my blog posts and just see what that. And, and the book is, is a very different book. I have to tell you than what I sat down to write. And I, here's why. I've been putting it together. And so then I retired. I retired one year ago in September and I I needed to finish it. I, I had found a publisher and I just needed to kind of polish it up. But I wanted to spend, I wanted to leave, as I told you, mass shooting, pandemic, you know, civil unrest, retire. I wanted to spend a couple months just being quiet and reflecting back on a 30 year career. And in doing that, I sat down to finish the book. And then I said, this is just, it's not working. I scrapped most of it. And then I wrote, I rewrote the entire book because I wasn't being honest about my own struggles. And I, I was, I was playing it safe. It was just so vanilla. Right. And so I decided to talk about that same father that we talked about them at the the onset of this uh, was also a father that battled demons of substance abuse um, who later ended up uh, 
committing suicide. And so I decided to get real about that and how that affected me and how I behaved as a leader because, because of it. And, you know, in a police officer and, and my failures in, in leadership, because there's so many of the things I did wrong and the things I've learned what not to do from those I've worked for. And so the book is, if you asked me who it's for, um, my publisher tried to, you know, push me into the corner. Who is this book for? I said, I do not know. I am a, I am, I am a everybody woman. probably. Yeah, it is. And so what's been really cool is I have a great publisher, um, Amplify Publishing. And what they said was, you know what, then just write the book. And so now that it's out, I've obviously had feedback and here's who it's for. Uh, whoever reads it and gets something from it. So I'm getting people who don't like the police because as I said, I call balls and strikes in this book and I call out the racial disparity and, you know, some of the things that, that the problematic parts of law enforcement and, and society in general. And so, so that's what I mean is that I sat down and scrapped the book and started writing about things. I wrote about the second amendment. I wrote about race relations. I wrote about the murder of George Floyd and, you know, and Sandra Bland. And I, I, really tried to delve into some of these very difficult issues. And what I'm hearing is that people who don't like the police are like, okay, you know what? I kind of get it. I got a little insight. Um, and I, I didn't know how cops would respond to it. And I've had a lot of chiefs buy them for their police department. So that's, that's awesome. pretty cool. And people who are not even in law enforcement, because if you think about the leadership lessons that we've learned, you know, as a commander, as a chief, any, any leadership position, they transcend the profession. These are leadership principles and attributes. And so, like I said, some of them are what I've learned by watching what not to do. Some of them I've learned by failing and others just by figuring it out. So people have also said, yeah, this is I, I've got a lot from it and I'm not even in policing. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Well, that's amazing. You know, that anybody, you know, you're going to get some, it's not just law enforcement specific, actually, you know, that's your background, obviously, but I really like, and I can't wait to read it. I really like the authenticity that you sounds like you bring to the book, meaning sharing, look, people, I think Kristen want, somebody that they can relate to. Yeah, you were the chief of police, but sharing stories and sharing tragedy and, and trauma that you that connects with people. Yeah, that connects with people. And it takes a leader, somebody very strong as yourself to come forward and say, I'm going to put it on paper. Yeah. But I've learned throughout my life that when you tell your story and you're authentic about it, people connect with that. I didn't learn that lesson until later, though. Well, I and didn't either. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was one of those, I was one of those cops. Yes, sir. No, you know, I mean, RoboCop, Mm -hmm. whatever. Until, you know, we all go through struggles. You know that until you go through your own struggles, you're going to say, okay, I get it. Or I might not get it, but I'm learning. Yeah. You Mm -hmm. know, and and when you start sharing your authorities, people or your stories, people start saying, oh, you know, Pat actually went through some shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not what he, you know, he's, he's not all, he's got his shit together. Are you kidding? I don't have my shit together. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, I exactly. struggle not too. Not any of us do. Not any of us do. And then we walk around pretending like we yeah. do. We put and, on masks. Yeah. And I did the same thing. And I probably had a a worse affliction that I imposed upon myself because I'm thinking, okay, I'm the first female lieutenant in this department, first female commander. So now I have to act that way. So people don't think I'm soft. Right. So all self-imposed, by the way, it was just what I did to myself. And then you add that on having a father that was very like no feelings. There's no crying in police work. 
Uh, and I, I literally believed that and I've since changed my position, but I tried never to let anyone see my vulnerable side. And it actually wasn't until my dad killed himself, which was right before I became chief that I started to really reflect on his life yeah. and his philosophy. And I thought, Okay. Uh, in my profession, we call that a clue. Um, that uh, machismo uh, shit does not work. Um, and so now we, you got to take the mask off. And that's when I started becoming the, the V word, God forbid the V word, where I was like, okay, we got to bring some vulnerability to our, our leadership. Yeah. Um, and that gives other people permission to do the same. And then when that happens, then they get the help uh, that they need. And that's exactly what we want, right? Is yeah. for, People courageous enough to say, hey, this one's a little bigger than me. Yeah. And vulnerability is a strength in most cases, yeah. in my opinion. It's not a weakness. Agree. You know, especially as a leader. And mm -hmm. uh, where can people find this amazing book of yours, Kristen? There's this website called Amazon.com. <laughs> and man, it has everything. You can buy a toothpaste and my book. I gotta tell you, I love place. the I love the cover of the book. And it'll be linked up in the show notes and you know, links to everything. In case you want to go pick it up, I'm going to pick it up. But the cover is is amazing. I love the cover. Did you, Thanks. You, did you come up with that or publisher or what? I, I, I did not. It was definitely my marketing team. And yeah, that's, they, that's pretty badass. Know, well, because I described to them, I'm like, this is my journey as a police officer, but it's not it's not all of who I am. Right. And it's sort of this symbolic half uniform, you know, half suit, which symbolizes I'm leaving my profession and going into a world where, you know, I'm not wearing a uniform anymore. And so it's just that half and half of, you know, one foot in both worlds. So that's the symbolism for me. Love it. Can't wait to read it. Any final words, Kristen, before we take off any words, to the listeners out there, I got one for you really quick. I know I said, we're wrapping it up. I got one more question for you. What advice would you give somebody who's considering a career in law enforcement? And then your final thoughts. Oh yeah. People ask me all the time, would you even tell people to go into law enforcement? You know, become and a fireman. Answer, oh, actually that's when I, in my next life, I'm totally going to be a fireman. Um, no, but I, I would say, you know, it, I would absolutely encourage people to go into it. And especially, absolutely. you know, and especially if you are a problem solver and a kind of person, you know, but, but here's what I would say is that, you know, what you think about police officers, uh, you know, take a, a close look, you know, at, at just the human inside, you know, get to know some police officers, go on a ride along, you know, and, and really, really lean into the fact that, you know, cops, we all wear the same uniform, we're paramilitary, but behind that uniform is, is our authenticity and our strengths are what we bring to the table. And, you know, the kind of police officers that I love, and especially um, when I got to, you know, swear in new cops, the ones that had struggles, you know, the ones that, that are the ones that had a tumultuous childhood or the ones sure. that grappled with some of their own demons, those are going to be the best kind of cops because they understand the human condition, mm -hmm. you know? And so listen, I, I mean, I would just say anybody who is interested, learn it, learn, lean in and lean into the profession, talk to people who are in it, you know, devise your, your own conclusion, but we need great people who are not just the mirrored sunglasses and attitude. We need great people who are willing to show empathy and compassion to the people they serve. Absolutely. Kristen Zeman, retired chief of police, Aurora Police Department, Illinois. Thank you for being on the show, ma'am. You're amazing. Everything you, we talk. Yeah, well, I try, you know, it's your world. I'm just a squirrel trying to get in that. 
That's what I tell people. Yeah, I, I, everything we talked about will be up in the show notes. I'd love to have you back on in the future when you're. Oh done my God, with, say the word. No, this with, is great. With, you're done with your world tour, but <laughs> I good. appreciate it, Chief, and I hope no, you have a good day. You. Pleasure meeting you, and thanks. Back at you. Talk to you soon. Such an honor to have former Chief Zinman on the show. She's one amazing individual doing amazing things continuously for our first responder field. Check out her book, Imagining Blue. Links are in the show notes. And if you love this show, check out the CJ Evolution Podcast YouTube channel. Check out the link in the show notes. Be safe, everybody. Until next time.